last week started a series on the seven signs in the book of the gospel of John. And John says that those were given to us so that we might believe. You already believe, but I want to preach these seven messages as an encouragement, as a support for why we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus, a, a support and a foundation for why we don't have to worry. And when things are going good, it's, it's easy to believe. The difficulty comes and trouble comes and no job or, or sickness or relationships fall apart or whatever it may be. It's a little more difficult to put our faith in Him and to trust that He is with us and to trust that He is able. So these seven signs in John are an encouragement to us. Today we're going to look at the second of the seven signs. It's found in John 4, 43 through 54. Says this after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, and having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah or Judea to Galilee. So for just a little while, I want to preach on this thought. When Jesus speaks when Jesus speaks. There is a historical fact that nations around the world for millennium have created alliances through marriage. They have had the leader of one nation marry into the royal family of another nation and they would do this with the hope and the, the attempt that if they were intermarried, if they're the royal families or the king's families or the queen's families, if they were intermarried, then it would eliminate 
war, it would keep them from having too many disagreements and it would keep them out of major conflicts and it would also not only keep them from conflicts but it would help them if someone attacked their nation well this is now my relatives we're married we have this alliance and so the two of us will work together against that common enemy it is been going on for thousands of years it was most recently in Europe you would see these European nations that would create alliances and if you look at the royal families of the many of the European nations they're all intermarried with each other this cousin and that sister and that brother and every nation from Germany to England to France to Spain you name it they're all got family members in the royal lineage and sometimes it would be cousins sitting on the throne at the same time because of all of the intermarriage doing this to try to keep from having war or to create a more powerful union so that they could conquer their enemies. The problem is that family feuds are inevitable and individuals would become power hungry or they would begin to try to manipulate it. And, and so it didn't always work. Sometimes, and you've probably seen this in your family, Sometimes you don't agree with your siblings or you don't agree with your parents or you don't agree with your cousins and you have difficulty. It was no different with these royal families. They would have squabbles and then they'd go fight each other to try to take the other, their other family members' nation that they're leading. So while their attempt was to create this alliance, it didn't really always work. And in the Bible we see this play out in Israel and in Judah even before there is a divided kingdom, even before Israel is divided into two different nations, the, the nation of Judah, which is the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, and Israel, which is the other ten tribes, even before that happened, you see the leaders of Israel, specifically Solomon, who would marry people of other nations trying to create an alliance. The problem was he was putting his trust in the pagan nations and he was putting his trust in something other than God and it didn't work out for his good. In fact, it is because of those marriages that Solomon had with these people from other nations who are worshiping other gods or they're worshiping false gods, they're worshiping idols. It is because of that that he had brought these women into his house and they're worshiping not Yahweh, not Jehovah. They are worshiping false and pagan gods. And the Bible says that his wives turned his heart away from God. But ultimately, that happened because he wasn't trusting God to be his defender. He wasn't trusting God to be his help. He wasn't trusting God to keep them protected from the other nations. So he decided he would try it himself. Let me figure out a way to keep them from attacking me. And let me figure out a way to keep peace. And let me figure out a way to keep my wealth that no nation can come in and take it if I have all these alliances. And he turned from trusting God to trusting others. questions that I would start with today. What areas may you not be 
trusting or believing God? What areas of my life that I'm trusting in me instead of trusting in God? Or I'm trusting in my bank account instead of trusting in God. I'm, I'm trusting in my retirement account instead of trusting God with my future. It's easy to do. Or maybe I'm even trusting God to, to reach people so this church will grow and that we can plant other churches instead of trusting God to bring people. Preachers are not immune from not having their trust in God. And people will often say, if it's going to happen, I have to make it happen. The reality is what the Bible would say is, is if, if the Lord doesn't build the house, they labor in vain that build the house. And so if I do it by myself or if I can gender up some kind of thing, some kind of atmosphere, or if I can get a group of people to come in, unless God is in it, I'm just wasting my time. But when we are sick, do we trust God that he will heal or do we put our trust in something else? When we need deliverance, do we trust something else? Do we trust our own ingenuity or do we trust God? In fact, I would even say that there are, so, there are many people in our world today who are trusting their salvation to themselves. They're not putting their trust in Jesus Christ, they're trusting in themselves. If I'm just good enough, if I live a certain way, if I, if I do the right things, then he's got to take me in. But they're doing it apart from following him. The Bible tells us of a particular king. He is a king of Judah. I don't mean to give you too much Old Testament history here, but when the nation... Israel is divided in two. And this, you, can, you can just take this to the bank. In Israel, which are the ten nations, are the ten tribes, every single king or queen was evil. None of them followed God. None of them. Which is why in 722, some hundred and thirty six or 38 years prior to it happening to Judah, they're carried off into captivity by the Assyrians. They didn't last near as long because all of them were evil. It's not that they didn't have good people. It's not that they didn't have good prophets, but their leadership was all evil. In Judah, they kind of went back and forth. You'd have a good king and a bad king and a good king and a bad king. So if you see any good kings that are not David or Solomon, it's in Judah. Because they're the only part that had good kings. And so King Asa, a king of Judah, the Bible says that he served God and he followed God and he was committed to God. But he got an issue with his feet. His feet began to cause him problems and had a disease or, and, and the Bible doesn't go into great detail other than he had this problem with his feet and it was severe enough that he goes and he consults with all of the physicians in Judah trying to find a solution for his problem. But what he failed to do was to seek God. The Bible tells us that God was angry with him because he did not come to God, but he trusted in all of the other things. 
and all of the other ideas and all of the physicians. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't go to the doctor. I'm not telling you that if you have an issue that you shouldn't take medication. But what I'm telling you is this, is that our first priority and our first place that we look should be to put our trust in Jesus Christ. To, to give Him the opportunity to work. And if He doesn't choose to work, okay, I'm going to take care of the pain as best I can. I'm going to see if there's any other options or any other way to deal with it. But we are to trust Him first. And I would venture to say none of us are immune. But I want to take five truths from this passage today. And before I do that, the context is this. Jesus has been in Judea. Judea is the area of Jerusalem. He has been there and he has left Judea. He's on his way to Galilee and on that process he stops in Samaria. And we've talked about that before. And He stops in the woman at the well. It takes place on that journey, but now he is back in Galilee, the place where he had turned water to wine. And, and remember, Galilee is not a city. Galilee is an area. Cana is the city in Galilee. And so not only is he in Galilee, but he is specifically back in Cana where he had turned the water to wine. That is the setting for the text that I read to you. And And I want to draw five truths about miracles from this passage. And I draw these truths about miracles from the passage so that we will put our trust in Him. It's not so that we will know about miracles, but it is so that when we need a miracle, we can trust that God will answer. We can trust that He will be at work in our situation. Can I get an amen? So the first truth is this, miracles happen when and where people believe. When and where they believe. John four forty three. after the two days he departed from or for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. In his own hometown, he said, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to honor me as a prophet. They, they know me. I was raised here. I was a snotty-nosed kid here. They're not going to listen to me. If you can believe that the God of the universe coming as a little baby and ever have snotty nose or something. But they had to change his diaper just like everybody else. And he says, the prophet doesn't have honor in his hometown. He's like, there's a problem here. But ultimately, while God can do miracles anywhere at any time, He typically chooses to do the miraculous where people believe. We talked about this last week, that if you don't have faith, the chances of you getting a miracle go down significantly. If you don't believe, He's probably not going to work on your behalf. If, If you don't believe, you can have no assurance that He's going to be at work. And so, He's like, prophets doesn't have honor there. So it is typical that where people believe, miracles happen. And when people believe, they are the ones who get the miracles. Jesus would later, or Matthew would record some of this in Matthew 13, 56-58, which says, 
are not all his sisters with us? That the crowds are questioning, here's Jesus, but his sisters are here. Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at Jesus. He doesn't have all this truth. He can't have this truth. But Jesus said to them, the same thing we saw in John, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. The reason I bring it up is that there's something else tacked on in Matthew, and it says he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. They didn't believe, and so he didn't do miracles. They didn't believe. It's not that he couldn't do miracles. God can do anything he wants. It's that the way he has chosen to operate is if you don't believe, you don't get a miracle. So understand this, that miracles happen when and where people believe. If it's a church where they don't believe in miracles, the chance of you seeing a miracle there is going to be pretty slim. If it's an individual who doesn't believe in miracles, the chance of you getting a miracle are pretty slim. I've told this story before. In fact, I just sent it to a friend of mine. Belky knows this friend. had a throat issue, had surgery, and he, I was with him for breakfast a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I'll never get my voice all the way back. It's what the doctors are telling me. I thought about it, and, and, and I didn't have a chance until Friday when I was working on my message for today, and I sent this particular broadcast to him of a man who didn't believe in miracles, a man who didn't believe that God still did the miraculous today. And this may be the opposite of what I'm preaching, but it gets to the heart of who God is. While I, and that's why I say typically he only does miracles when people believe and where they believe. This particular man had for three years been able to speak only like this. Full-time ministry, and he's, he's preaching like this. And teaching a Sunday school class where he's He's talking and he's trying to push the air through the vocal cords that aren't working right. And talking about the fact that God doesn't do miracles today. In the middle of doing this, his voice came back and he began to cry because he wasn't expecting God to work. It's typical that he only does the miraculous when people believe he will, but sometimes because he's the God who can do anything, he shows up. The story is actually probably later in my message, but when people believe, he works. The second truth is this, that miracles cause people to turn to Jesus. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast and so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The text is very clear that 
This man only comes to Jesus because he needs a miracle. He only comes to Cana because he needs something supernatural for his son. No doubt he had went to doctors. No doubt he had attempted to find other means of of bringing his son back to health, but he is now at the point of death. And so he goes to Jesus maybe as his last resort. What I have seen is this, is that often people will not come to Jesus unless they have a specific need that they want him to take care of. They don't come to Jesus for salvation. They don't come to Jesus because they just want to serve him. They don't come to Jesus because they love him. They come into a church service or they find a Christian or they they find a pastor who's hopefully a Christian too. And, And they come because they have a need and they can't deal with it. The doctors may say there's no hope. You need a miracle. It's then that people will come to him. It are those needs that cause people to ask Jesus for help. And the reason is often not because they have a lot of faith. It's not because they really have no doubt that he's going to do it. They do it because it's their last hope. It's their only option. Nothing else is going to work. So they try Jesus. Those miracles that bring people to Jesus leads us to the next truth, and that is this, is that miracles solidify people believing in Jesus. That if you come to Jesus because you need a miracle... In our text, Jesus said to the man, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is not an accusation. Jesus is making a statement of fact. He doesn't say, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe, and so too bad for you. He doesn't say, unless you're following me, you don't get a miracle. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And because Jesus knows his heart, Jesus heals the boy. Because he knows that if the man sees the sign and wonder, he will believe. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all his household. That the result of the miracle that Jesus does is this man not only believes he can do the miraculous, but he becomes a Jesus follower. That he becomes a person who believes the message of Jesus. Jesus has been proclaiming the kingdom of God and And he would say things like this, the kingdom of God is now and it's not yet. Or he would say, the kingdom of God is here with you. He's proclaiming that the kingdom has come, but it's not all parts of the kingdom. Some of it's here and some of it's still coming. But he was proclaiming that and people were like, oh, whatever. Jesus was preaching kingdom principles of love and lifestyle and love your neighbor And then he'd get all crazy and do stuff like love your enemy. 
live a certain way if you're going to be part of the kingdom. Live in a way that is in line with the kingdom principles. And He says to this man who may have heard some of those teaching, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe what I've been saying. You won't believe the truths about the kingdom. You won't believe the gospel in essence unless you see a sign and a wonder. Many people have heard the gospel message that do not believe the message to be true. And it is often, unless they see the miraculous, they will not believe. Jesus knew what was in the man's heart, and so he tells him, I already know what's in your heart. Unless you see a sign and a wonder, you won't believe. And so Jesus gives that sign and wonder. He doesn't condemn him, but he gives him a miracle, and the man believes. Jesus doesn't give everybody miracles who are unbelievers but he does do it often. And he does it when he knows what is in their heart and when he knows that the miracle will bring them to him. Now that's not, even that statement that I said to you may not always be absolute. I've seen people get miracles and they're like, cool. And then they go their way. But the Bible says of God, he is both just and the justifier. And he would say of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, and he would say of Tyre and Sidon, it's going to be better in the day of judgment for them because they didn't have the miracles and the signs. So if you get a miracle from Jesus and you choose not to believe, that's not a good thing. But miracles validate the message. The fourth truth is this, is that miracles have a crossover effect. When this man had heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And the crossover effect is this. Jesus has un only done one miracle in the Gospel of John. And keep in mind, John is recording just seven particular miracles Jesus did a lot more in fact John ends his gospel with if all the things that Jesus did and said were recorded I suppose that all the books in the world could not contain what he has done so this is not necessarily only the second miracle but he's come back to Cana because it's the second sign that John is using and in the the framework of what he's setting up of why we should believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the crossover effect is this. If he can do water into wine, he can heal. That if he can do something over here, maybe he can do something that I haven't seen him or heard of him doing. I, maybe he hasn't healed anybody yet, but I know he's done miracles already. So maybe he'll do a miracle on this side or he'll do a miracle in this area because he did it over there. That miracles, he doesn't have to have done a miracle exactly like you need to believe him to do a miracle. 
that you may not have heard of anybody in Olathe receiving this kind of a miracle, but it doesn't really matter because if he can do miracles here and he can do miracles there and he can, if he can do miracles of that nature and if he can bring healing over there, if he can touch a blinded eye, then he can take care of my problem. But you don't have to have a specific miracle in history to go, I think he can do it. I believe he can do it. And, and this man shows up and he says, my son is at the point of death. Come and heal him. I believe you can do it. I believe you will do it. Fifth truth is this. Miracles happen when Jesus speaks. John 4, 53, I read it already. The Father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Keep in mind, we only have one other place in Scripture where Jesus speaks about a situation that is physically removed from him. I referenced it last week. That typically, when Jesus does miracles in the Gospels, He's there. He's by the water. He's in close proximity. That when He heals people, He's touching them, or He's just right up close. This man, he needs a miracle, but his son can't be there. He can't bring his son to Jesus. His son is at the point of death. And that's why he says, Jesus, come to where my son is. Come and, and, and be in the room with him and lay your hand on him or, or even speak to him in the room and touch him. And he'll be healed. But Jesus doesn't go to where he is. He just says, your son's going to be okay. That's a new thing. We haven't seen that before. And the man believed Jesus' word that his son would be okay. And he says, all right, I believe what you're telling me. I'm going to go. And before he could get home, his servants come and tell him, hey, he's, he's getting better. We weren't sure how long it was going to take you to get back, so we were going to get you and say, hey, he's, he's on the man. He is recovering. Oh, but when did this happen? When did he start getting better? When did his recovery start? And they tell him, and this man realizes that was when Jesus spoke the word. The moment Jesus spoke, even though he's in one place physically and the boy in need is in another place physically, the moment Jesus spoke the word, healing began and recovery began. I would tell you that when Jesus speaks, everything changes. That he can speak into your life and he can speak into your situation. That while he is not physically in this room, we've never physically seen Jesus, but he still speaks. I would even tell you, while even though we experience his presence and we can feel his spirit, 
known as the Holy Spirit, that we can feel that happen. That even if you don't feel His presence in your situation, He can still speak into your situation. You don't have to have an audible voice of Him speaking and and, and I heard a voice and, oh, Jesus is speaking into my situation. You don't have to have that for Him to be speaking. He is still speaking today. I've prayed for people and not feel a single thing. I understand I love it when you come to the music. I love it when I feel His presence. Man, give me some good goosebumps. Come on now. Anybody else like that? I love that. And there are times, and I'll pray with people, and I'll feel, man, I'll feel the presence of God, the power of God. And other times, I won't feel a thing. I'm just, they have a need. And he has the answer, so I'll just pray that he does it. And sometimes when I feel his presence and his power, and I'm praying for people, nothing happens. Sometimes when I don't feel a thing, miracles take place. It's not about what we feel. It's not about whether we hear it with an audible voice. It's just that when He speaks into our lives and He speaks into our situation, just when we get a word from Him, we can put our trust in Him that everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to change. prophet is depressed and he's in a cave and he thinks he's the only one following God God brings the whirlwind and he brings fire and he's not in that but then he, sent, he speaks in a still small voice and God was in the still small voice he wasn't in the big thing he wasn't in the show You don't need God to do a big thing, but just let Him speak. Lord, I trust You. Speak into my life. I trust You, Lord. Give me a word of what You want me to do. And Lord, just give me a word that everything's going to be okay. Lord, just give me a word that You are at work. My friend Dan... Maybe watching today, but had an aortic dissection where his aorta ruptured, and he's laying in the hospital. The doctors say to him, "Is there anybody you want to call?" Basically, the doctors are like, "You're not going to leave this room." you got somebody you want to talk to, you need to do it now. Dan was Catholic and he didn't I'm not sure he'd ever actually even attempted to talk to Jesus because you don't necessarily talk to him. You talk to the intermediaries. And you pray to Mary. You pray to Whoever. 
but he said in that moment, God spoke to him and said, everything's going to be okay. And if you weren't ready for heaven, when that train comes back. <laughs> and to the doctor's surprise, he recovered in 2019. I baptized him when he was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. In fact, the first time he told me about that situation, and maybe every time he talks about that specific aspect of God speaking to him, he gets a little teary. But God spared his life so that he would believe. That God spoke into his life and his situation so that he could save him. That he could bring him into a relationship with him. When Jesus speaks, everything changes. When Jesus talks and speaks into your life, everything can be different. There is no question that the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. God is calling each of us if you, we have, if you haven't been filled with His Spirit, He's calling you to say, hey, come to me. I've got something for you. If you're not following Him completely, He's speaking today and say, hey, come and follow me. Come and draw close to me and I will draw close to you. Come and let me put my Spirit within you. Come and let me wash away your sin in the water of baptism. He is calling us to Him today. For those that have already made those steps of commitment and those steps of salvation, I would encourage you to listen for His voice not just when you have needs and not just when there are difficulties but listen for his voice at all times God what do you want me to do today where do you want me to go today who do you want me to talk to today we serve a God who still speaks today a God who is at work in us told you about Dan where God said it's going to be okay and recently I referenced this actually it was at a volunteer meeting a couple of weeks ago 2020 January of 2023 weeks after we moved into this building worried about the financial drain it would be and how much it would be compared to renting the school but I had heard God say to come here. At least I thought I had. And I was worried about the money. And I'm sitting at this conference. And people throughout the conference had been saying, yeah, I got a word from the Lord about this. And they're telling these testimonies. And 
I'm sitting there looking at the mobile app at the bank account going, Man, that's a lot lower than it was when we moved into this building. That Thursday night, the last service of the conference, man I didn't know comes up beside me during the altar call says out of all the people in the this room some 2,000 plus he said God showed me your face he said he just gave me a word finances and I got a word that everything was going to be okay that God was going to take care of the finances and is the bank account where I, I would like it to be no, but I'm trusting in him instead of the bank account. He said it's going to be okay. That he spoke it into my situation. And I can put my trust in what he says. Would you stand together with me? I've got a call to action here, which is just listen for his voice. Ask God for whatever you need. And then thirdly, to expect Him to speak and for Him to come through. But two other questions that I, I want to ask you in this moment. How many of you have ever had God speak to you and give you a word? Or He's spoken to you and said, I, here's a promise that I'm making to you. Or here's an assurance that I'm making to you. How many of you are still waiting on some of that? That He's spoken things that you haven't seen already. That you haven't seen them come to pass, but you believe are still some hands. And I would tell you today, he's, whatever He said, He will bring to pass. He doesn't always give us a time frame. He doesn't always do it when we want it or when we expect it. Or, but whatever He says, He will do. The second question, I guess third question is this. How many of you want God to speak into your life and speak into your situation? That you want to hear a voice from Him. You want, you want to hear a specific word, not just me preaching a message and not just what somebody else says or what you can find in the written word that's for everybody, but you want a specific word. If that's your desire or you fall into either of those categories, would you just come around the front for just a moment? We're a little past time, but would you just come and would you lift your hands and Lord, Lord speak to me today. Help me, Lord, to hear your voice. I believe you are the God who speaks. I believe that you are the God that will honor what you say. I believe that you are at work in my life. And I believe you're at work in my situation. God, I believe you have direction for me. I believe, Lord, that the thing I've been praying for a long time, that, that you know where I am and that you'll bring it to pass. Lord, I believe.